our today evening's discussion on this topic of vital importance to the life of each and every one of us karma it is entitled as the mystery of karma because for most people the actions and reactions don't seem correlated most people find it difficult to believe in karma although the word karma has become much more acceptable in the last few years last few decades karma has not only a place in all the english dictionaries but gallup surveys show that an increasing percentage of people not only in the eastern world but also in the western world believe in some sort of cosmic accountability that we are accountable for our actions so today we will try to unravel this mystery based on the teachings of the vedic scriptures as explained by shri prabhupal so this will be the overview of how we will be going we'll be covering these six main two points first we'll just introduction to karma then what is the logic of karma then we'll discuss some commonly asked doubts about questions about karma and we'll go into a deeper understanding of the science of karma and we will uh, then we will understand at an individual and social level what are the benefits of understanding science of karma and then we will talk about how devotional service brings about the ultimate freedom from karmic entanglement so this is a simple statement of the law of karma uh, for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction this is actually not the law of karma this as we know is newton's law now newton's law is a small subset of the universal law of karma why a subset because newton's law talks mainly about the interaction between non conscious or dead material objects and it does not involve any higher principles like divine intervention or divine supervision or cosmic justice but this law is a rough approximate statement of the universal law of action and reaction which also says that to every action that we perform as human beings we will get an equal reaction so it is phrased differently in the bible it is said as you sow so shall you reap so let us this is simple introduction now let's see some simple logic for karma so all of nature obeys laws that's what science has discovered isn't it right from the microscopic level to the macroscopic level everywhere there are laws for interaction of everything with everything there are laws if there were no laws in nature there would be no scientists because there would be no study of science without laws so if all of nature is governed by laws then why should we humans be an exception to those laws that's why there is a saying that we can never break god's laws we can only break ourselves against god's laws just like if somebody says i don't believe in the law of gravity i don't believe it i will break that law okay he jumps off a 10 story building what will happen he will not break the law of gravity he will break himself against the law he will fall down and break his hopefully break his leg or if he is not so fortunate he might break his head so we can never break the laws of god so just as the law of gravity is impartial and inexorable impartial means it doesn't differentiate 
if it's a baby or a macho man or a stunt man or a whoever if he comes off the floor the law of, uh, law of gravity lacked on it so it's similarly the law of karma is also impartial and it is inexorable inexorable means we cannot escape it we cannot stop it so so if nature obeys laws then why should we humans be an exception to this universal phenomena seen in nature and not only that all our life everything we do is based on an implicit understanding of the correlation of action and reaction say you go back to the hostel after this class and you see a friend in the hostel having a burn scar on his hand what will you ask him if you see a burn scar on your friend's hand what will you ask him yeah how did you get it what happened isn't it that means as soon as we see an effect we immediately assume and implicitly understand that there is a cause to it we may not know what the cause is but we understand that there is a cause so similarly when we see that some reversal some suffering some problem is coming in life we can infer through an implicit understanding that there must be this effect which is coming in my life must be having some cause although as it was mentioned in the introduction you now sometimes we do well in our exams and we don't get good results but in general there is a correlation between if you study you get good marks just as if some of, some of your friends one of your friends doesn't get good marks what what will his parents ask him didn't you study for the exam isn't it or somebody gets a topper you know you will ask him how many hours did you study every day so in general in every aspect of life there is a correlation between cause and effect we will come to the exceptions later but first the general principle is that the every effect is produced by a cause every effect that we see now is produced by a cause from the past and every cause that we are initiating or activating now will produce an effect in the future so there is implicit understanding of cause and effect just as if early morning a patient calls the doctor doctor i am having a stomach upset so what will the doctor ask yes what did you eat last night isn't it so here the cause effect correlation may be delayed by a few hours maybe 7 8 hours when he is eating he may not feel anything but later on the effect does manifest so every cause produces an effect and every effect is produced earlier by a cause similarly if we see another point that in our day to day life they our parents they train us and we will train our children by punishment reward isn't it the student studies nicely the parents appreciate him praise him give him some gifts and the student doesn't study nicely then they chastise him punish him we stop his pocket money or whatever decrease it so and the same system we see in day to day affairs that means whenever there is a there is a there is a supervisor a superior and a subordinate award the normal way of training is by punishment for good punishment for bad and reward for good choice of action so now if god is the most benevolent parent the most intelligent trainer will he also not follow the same system so of course in this presentation we will not go into the existence of god it is assumed that all our students over here have 
heard the device first session and the existence of God is understood. That is a different presentation. So here we'll move forward. If God exists, which can be scientifically inferred from the extraordinary design that is there in all parts of the universe, then if God is like a teacher or God is like a uh, parent, then will he not use cause and effect? Will he let everything happen chaotically in life? Doesn't seem logical at all. So, now, this is a straightforward understanding that our actions will produce reactions. So now let's consider some of the doubts. One of the most common doubts people have is, why do we see so many bad people? We see so many criminals. They seem to be flourishing. The police is not catching them. The law is not able to even you know, do any harm to them. So we see that they are flourishing. So how is it that the law of karma is acting? So a simple principle to understand is, there is, as the thinker Harold Percival said, cause is always followed by effect. But just as harvesting does not follow immediately after sowing, similarly, there may be a delay between effect and cause. Just as harvesting does not immediately follow after sowing. There is a different time lag between sowing and harvesting as per this, what kind of seed is being sown. So here a simple example is given. Uh, in the villages, the farmers store their grains in huge vertical containers called as silos. So, and they store their grains year after year after year in that. So if the farmer has in the past years produced a low quality grain called C and he has stored that in the container. Another farmer has produced in the past high quality grain called A and has stored it in the container. So now, in this particular year, the, farmer is, the first farmer has produced now high quality and he's putting in high quality grains from there, A quality grains. But what is he getting out? C. And on the other hand, the neighbor is producing C quality grains, but what is he getting out? A. So this is just delayed karma. It's not that if somebody is putting in A quality grains, it's not that he will always keep getting C. The C will get over and he will get A also. And if somebody is putting in C quality grains, it's not that he will always get A. Sooner or later the stock of A will run out and he will have to get the C quality grains. So, so it's not that bad people flourish permanently. Actually in this world, nobody flourishes permanently. Ultimately everybody has to die and many people, they lose their wealth in just one moment. Say a big underworld criminal might just be caught and put in jail. Or as we saw, big, big dictators and conquerors like say Napoleon Bonaparte. He was out to conquer the whole world and what happened? When his karma ran, as long as karma was there, in spite of all the atrocities he was doing, he was conquering. But once his karma ran out, and from the conqueror, prospective conqueror of the world, he just became a helpless prisoner in an island called Elba. And he died a pathetic death thereafter. So, the karma, as long as the good karma is still in stock, a person may be getting good results in spite of bad actions. But the bad actions will eventually produce bad results. Now, the Vedic scriptures give an understanding broader and deeper than 
most other scriptures as they are understood today. That is because the Vedic scriptures also include reincarnation in correlation with karma. That means, if this is one life, this is birth and this is death. So even in this life also we see action-reaction at work. Isn't it? If somebody has illicit sex, he gets AIDS. Somebody does intoxication, he gets liver problems. Somebody has smokes, he gets lung problems. So we do see action-reaction in this life also. As I said, cause and effect is implicit in even our day-to-day feelings. But whenever we don't see that, whenever we see the exceptions, Vedic scriptures explain that this law of karma extends not only from this point of B to the point of D, birth to death, but it extends before B and after D. And therefore, in this life we may get the reactions from a past life and the reactions to the actions of this life may come in a future life. And this helps us to understand cosmic accountability in a broader way. Now somebody may ask, why should I suffer now for the reactions of a previous life? So the answer is, different seeds subfructify after different time durations. If somebody sows grains, and the grains will sow uh, harvest after 2-3 months. If somebody sows a mango seed, that may take 20 years. We take a eucalyptus seed, that may take 90 years. So every action that we do is like a seed sowing program. And the seed will fructify. And this is a seed which we cannot escape. I don't like this fruit. I don't want to eat it. No, we will be forced to eat it. Even if the fruit is thorny, it will be forced into our mouth. We have to eat it. So the reactions will come. But different kinds of karma have different time durations after which they fructify. Now somebody may think, okay, if there was all the system, then why didn't God give all the reactions in this life only? Then it would be easier to have faith. Easier to make sense out of it. In fact, this was the question that Dhritarashtra asked Krishna after a bloody Kurukshetra war. Dhritarashtra asked, Krishna, I got hundred sons and all of them were killed. Not even one exception. Why? Krishna told, 50 lifetimes ago, you were a hunter. And while hunting for birds, you tried to shoot a male bird and it flew away. In anger, at the inability to kill the male bird, you ruthlessly slaughtered the birdlets, which were there in the nest. There were 100, 100 baby birds, 100 birdlets. And you killed them. And the father bird was helplessly watching in agony. Because you caused that father bird, the pain of seeing the torture and death of his hundred percent dying, similarly you had to see your hundred sons dying. Uh, the Dhritarashtra asked, okay, but why did I have to wait for fifty lifetimes? And Krishna answered, to, to get hundred sons, requires a lot of punya. So for 50 lifetimes you had to do punya to get 100 sons. And then you got the reaction for the path that you had done 50 lifetimes ago. That's what Lord Krishna says. Gahana karmano gati. That the gati, the way in which action and reaction works is very gahan. It's very deep. It's not something which we can just casually understand. So therefore, God knows best how to give re- which reaction at what time. 
and certain reactions have to be given under certain conditions. So therefore, some reactions may come in this lifetime, some reactions may come in the next lifetime, some reactions may come in a much later lifetime. But the mills of grind may mills of God grind slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. So saying, what does it mean? That means if there is a, a grinding mill, and in the grinding mill the grains are being ground into powder. But sometimes when the grinding device is moving round and round, some some grains seem to escape. Some of the grains get ground to powder, but some grains escape. And then the grinding mill is moving slowly. And then some grains, once they think they have escaped, oh, nothing is happening. We have escaped. So the grinding mill is moving round, 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 and again it will come. And again some grains will be crushed. And again it will come, and again the grains will be crushed. So, the mills of God grind slow. That means some grains may not appear to be ground to powder immediately. They grind slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. Exceedingly fine means that every single grain will be ground to powder. Every single action will be accounted for. The Bhagavatam gives the example that if we have a cow shed with thousands of cows in it, and we leave one mother calf over there. The mother calf is able to find out which is her mother cow, is able to find out which is her calf among those thousands of calves. It has this mystical ability based on her maternal love. So just as the mother cow can find its calf among thousands of cows, similarly, the Bhagavatam says, our karma will find us among the millions of people on this planet. There may be thousands of people going on a road, but only one person meets with the accident. It's not by chance, it's by karma. So, the laws of karma grind, may grind slow, but they grind exceedingly fine. Exceedingly fine. Nobody escapes. Somebody may ask, okay, I don't know about the law of karma. Why should I suffer? No. Why are the ignorant not excused? Once, a person was driving on a bike and he came to a road crossing and there was a red signal and he slowed down and then he saw that the buffalo was walking through the red signal and he looked and the buffalo appeared to be nonchalant, completely confident, undisturbed, just walking through the red signal and the buffalo is going through, let me also go through and he went through and immediately the whistle blew and he was stopped and the RTO find him said, sir, you didn't find the buffalo. Why are you finding me? Because you are a bigger buffalo. <laughs> so, ignorance is no excuse. Now, the buffalo doesn't have the intelligence to understand the law. But if we humans are driving on the road, it is not the responsibility of the government to educate us in law. It is our responsibility to learn the law. Similarly, if we are living in this world and we are taking air, we are taking water, we are taking sunlight, we are taking heat, we are taking food from nature, you know, it's like this world is like a palace. If you just come in the palace, if you just go into a palace and start eating here, eating from here and there, you know, we cannot do that. So, the bill will come. If you are in a hotel and you start eating anything, sleeping anywhere, watching television, and you're just enjoying all the facilities of the hotel, the bill will come. And if you don't pay the bill, 
and the reminder will come. And if you don't pay heed to the reminder, then tuck, then power will be cut off, and we'll start getting the reaction. So similarly, we it is not for the material nature to teach us. When we take the human form of life, it is for us to learn the laws of karma. Because that is the way we see everywhere in human, human society. Now, of course, if somebody is ignorant, the punishment may be slightly minimized. But if we see with respect to the laws of nature, if a child says, I didn't know that if I jump from a 10-story building, I'll fall down and break my leg. Will the law of gravity accept him? Give him, act him as an exception for him? No. Just as the law of gravity is impartial but inexorable. Similarly, the law of karma is impartial but inexorable. Now, one more important point to recognize is that ignorance is not an excuse for sin. Rather, ignorance is the consequence of sin. How is that? A simple example. When a person commits a crime, he is put in the jail. And in the normal jail, often there are reformers who come to give good counsel to the prisoner so that he will give up his errant ways and become a reformed citizen. But if in the jail also, the prisoner acts criminally, he starts beating the other co-prisoners, he starts beating the counsellor, he starts beating the jailer, what will, we ha what will happen? He will be taken from the normal prison cell and be put in the dark dungeon, where he will only be given food from a window and nobody will come to give him counsel. Now, why is that? That's his own action. So now he is put in a place where he has no opportunity to reform himself, gets no guidance or support to reform himself. Why? Because in the past he rejected the opportunities to reform himself. The same way, if today somebody is born in a social situation or in a cultural environment where that person never gets to know about the law of karma, then that is because he is by his he has by his past actions shown God and the material energy, the superintendent, that I am not interested. I don't care. I will do whatever I want. So then he is put in a place where he has no opportunity for getting to know about God. And Kaliuga is actually such a dark age. Kalau Actually, the souls who are born in Kaliuga, they are the souls who in the previous ages of Satya Yuga, Trita Yuga, Dvapar Yuga, have shown by their actions that they don't care for the laws of God. And that's why many of them are born in a situation where they don't come to know about the laws of nature, about the laws of God. So ignorance is not an excuse for sin. Ignorance is a consequence of sin. Of course, God is not just a judge. He's a father. And therefore, there is God's justice and there is God's mercy. And which is greater? His mercy is greater. Yes. So even in the dark dungeon of Kalyuga, normally where no prison reformers will come, here also the Lord sends his representatives. The Lord himself comes as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the Lord sends Srila Prabhupada. And his 
for, and his devotees to give a knowledge of the law of karma to even those who by their own past karma don't deserve to know about it and don't desire to know about it. That is why all over the world people have the opportunity to turn towards God. Actually, God by His grace arranges in the life of every single human being at least at one time in His life. God arranges circumstances in such a way that He has the opportunity to think. What am I living for? What is the purpose of life? What is the world all about? So at that time, the curtains of ignorance are just opening. And the stream of enlightenment is just coming through. The person just pushes the curtains a little bit. If at that time, when the circumstances to turn towards God are created by God in his life, if he seeks knowledge, if he seeks wisdom, then God will guide him to a place where he can surely get wisdom. And that's how a person can, even from the situations where he is actually forsaken, he is actually deprived of spiritual knowledge, he can get spiritual knowledge even in those situations. So, as many of you know, Krishna consciousness has spread all over the world. So there is one young Islamic youth in the Middle East, his name was Asif Mushtaf. And this person was young, intelligent and rebellious. So, once when the mullah was giving a class, so the mullah was saying, Allah is there everywhere. So then just out of his rebellious attitude, also, if Allah is everywhere, is he there in stool also? The mullah was outraged. He said, blasphemy, blasphemy. You dare to blaspheme Allah. Get out. He was waiting for that only. <laughs> so he just got out and decided, I will never again go to any place of God. And he was intelligent. So in the Middle East, he gave exams, he passed, and he came to America for his higher studies. And naturally, because of rebellious attitude, you know, he broke free from the traditional discipline and got into all sorts of intoxication uh, in the West. So one day, after taking his heavy intoxication dose, you know, he just fell unconscious. So the other people in the party, because he was completely unconscious, they picked him up from the party and took him to the bottom of the hotel and put him in a dungeon. <laughs> so there, after some time, he came back to consciousness. And he opened his eyes and he could, was groggy couldn't understand what is happening. And he opened his eyes and he saw everywhere was dark. And he saw there was a thin slit of light coming from one corner of the room. And that light was falling on some magazine. And on that magazine it was written, God is present everywhere, even in stool. All his grogginess went away. He got up and he ran there and picked up. That was the Back to Godhead magazine. And then he read that article and he says, God is present everywhere, but he is transcendental, he is divine, he is unaffected. Just as a, the prime minister may go in a jail, but the prime minister doesn't become a prisoner by that. Where the Lord can be present in any material circumstances, but he is transcendental, he is present in every atom. So he was amazed by this explanation. Then he looked at the address, just close by there was a uh, Iskon temple. 
so he went there in the early morning all the devotees were running for mangal aarti and then he said hey, god is there everywhere i want to know more about this he said later later they told him <laughs> says come with uh, come with us he said then they took him and he also did mantra meditation liked it very much and he sat down and he asked questions and he was amazed every single question that he had was answered and the same same devotee is one of the most powerful preachers of krishna consciousness in the islamic world is initiated this devotee named airavat prabhu so and he writes books on say he will write comparative cosmology christianity islam modern science christianity islam sanatan dharma and he is a phd so ashish mushtaq phd so many muslims oh it's comparative cosmology written by muslim so probably it will talk about the glory of islam and they open the book and it talks about islam also it talks very subtly and intelligently how the highest understanding is given in sanatan dharma and so many people are becoming devotees by that so we see that person had one inquiry how is god present everywhere god took note of that inquiry and although he was in a situation where he had relatively lesser knowledge but he came in a very extraordinary way to a place where he could get complete knowledge that's why god's grace is greater than his great justice and therefore yes the ignorant are punished by the law of karma but they can be rescued by the grace of god another question people get why do natural calamities kill thousands of people so seven disasters like tsunami occur i remember in times of india for tsunami the article now whose god is it that means you know, if, if if the god cannot protect us then whose god is it that was the insinuation over there so yes it is very sad when thousands or millions of people uh, lakhs of people sometimes die but then if you carefully observe even in these natural disasters you now on that fateful morning when the tsunami wiped out major coastlines in the indian ocean on that fateful morning some scuba divers went to do scuba diving in the ocean all of you know what is scuba diving yes you go go underwater with a special gear to look for some jewels or some other uh, underwater wealth and they went underwater and as they were going underwater suddenly they felt a force pushing them upwards they were trying to go underwater but it was this was lifting them up lifting them up. again they were trying to want what is being lifted up and after some time the force subsided and then they went underwater did their work came back to the surface of the ocean and swam back to the coastline and they found there was no coastline the tsunami had devastated everything i just consider the tsunami killed those who were on the land but those who were in the water were unscathed if these scuba divers had gone into the ocean a little later they would have been on the surface and the wave the killer wave would have smashed them back on the coastline and killed them or if they had gone little earlier then they might have gone underwater and be on their way up and again the killer wave would have smashed them but by their karma they were not supposed to die at that time so although they were in that place they were in the ocean but they did not die another even more amazing example 
was, this came in the newspapers also after the earthquake in Gujarat. Now there's a mother with a small infant whom she was suckling on her breast. And suddenly the quake was there and a column from the roof fell on the head of the mother. And the mother died on the spot. Almost 24 hours later, when the rescue workers worked their way down through the debris, they found the mother dead and the infant moving his hands and legs, holding on to the breast of the mother. The infant is so tender that one small blow can prove fatal for him. Here there was a quake that was fatal for fully grown up adults. But the infant survived. How is that? That means although the natural calamities kill in mass, they don't kill blindly. Only those who are having the kind of karma by which they are all supposed to die at that particular time. They will be brought together by the higher powers of karma and then they will die. So say, so this is a, I say there is individual karma, there is also mass karma. Mass karma means that the number of people, they may all have done different bad karmas. But the reaction for their karma is that they are supposed to meet with the, they are supposed to die. So then all of them are brought together in one plane. And in that plane, the engine fails and the plane crashes. So karmic law acts in one stroke, efficiently. And the person who is not supposed to die, now he will be going in his car and his car will break down. And what will happen? He will miss his flight. And he will be cursing, why did I miss my flight? And then when you understand the plane crashed, he will thank God. So, Actually, the law of karma, ghana karmanogati. So, karmana daivane trena. It all acts again under the divine supervision of God. So, the, even the mass calamities, they may kill thousands of people, but not one person is killed blindly. Everyone is getting the reactions of their own karma. So, now coming to the science of karma. So, now the karma word can mean different things. So, here we will clearly specify, sometimes the word karma is used to mean the actions that we are doing. That's the general meaning. But sometimes the word karma is also used to mean, I am suffering for my karma. So, here the word karma means the reactions for the actions that I have got. And sometimes the word karma can refer to the whole system. The science of karma as we are saying over here. But here we will specify analytically the, def uh, the definitions of three different terms. So, karma primarily means actions which we do, which are performed in terms of one's prescribed duties as mentioned in the revealed scriptures. So, Shila Prabhupada, based on the Vedic scriptures, gives these definitions in the purport of the Ishopanishad. So, karma just doesn't mean any good activity. Actually, activity done according to the scriptures, that is considered karma. So, here the word karma means good karma. And then there is vikarma, viruddha rupena karma. That means act, actions which are done contrary to scriptures by the misuse of our free will, which take us down to the lower life forms. They are called as vikarma. So now there are many vikarmas, but especially in Kaliuga, there are four main vikarmas. Which are they? Yes? Intoxication, meat eating, gambling, and illicit sex. Yes? 
Sriyam Pana Dyuti Suna Yatra Dharma Shaturvidha. The Bhagavatam says that the four main irreligious activities. Listen sec. Pana is intoxication, Dyuta is gambling, and Suna is animal slaughter, meat eating. So that activities which lead to severe mass karma. And of course, they will give severe karmic reactions uh, eventually to us at an individual level. But even in this life, all of them give tremendous karmic reactions. As we discussed, illicit sex leads to a variety of diseases. Meat eating leads to heart problems, to cancer. It leads to a variety of diseases which would otherwise not occur. Because when we eat food that is not meant for our body, because our intestines are long, so when we eat the animal food, then it stays in our intestine for a long time, it decays and gives out toxins, and it poisons our system. So meat eating leads to a variety of diseases. Similarly, gambling. People get entangled completely in gambling, and then they lose sense of whether they are winning or losing, just get intoxicated, they lose everything eventually. So, and of course there is intoxication. Intoxication is a ritual of self-torture. Ritual of self-torture. I mean, people think we are enjoying, but they say cheers. And what happens? And they say cheers and after that they become fools. They speak things, they do things, they don't care for the thing and I am a big person. And one slip of the leg and they fall into a gutter. And then somebody goes to help them. I am okay. I am a big person. Why do, you, why do I need your help? Just make a fool out of themselves. They waste money. They waste their time. Lose their health. So all these are four bad karmas. And now apart from that, karma, vikarma, there is a karma. A karma doesn't mean inactivity. It means activity that brings no reaction. The activity that frees us from the cycle of birth and death. So we'll come back to this once again. A karma later, but let's go forward. So when we say karma, what does it actually imply? Say now, if this is our life's journey, and you can please have a look over here. I'll come explain what is there on the slide. If this is our life's journey, and we have come to this particular point, most of us are around age 20, so one third of our life, according to the average lifespan, something like that. So now say we are here. So what does the law of karma determine? Is the whole life's journey determined? Or do we have some freedom? So, it, there is something called destiny. But it is we only who make our destiny. We make our destiny by our karma. Now, what exactly is destiny? Destiny is something like a weather forecast on a journey. That means, Say somebody has to wants to go to Badrikashram for a pilgrimage. Or somebody wants to go on a mountain expedition to the Mount Everest. And then he looks at the weather forecast. Is it going to snow over there? Or is it going to be sunny? So you know that weather forecast, what does it tell? It tells what is going, on, going to come on the path. But it doesn't force one from going further on the path. So if it's going to be snowy, then one has to go slowly, more cautiously with more preparation, with more warm clothes. So it's like a weather forecast. And that's why Dhritarashtra was told by Vidura that destiny determines the consequences of our actions, not our actions themselves. Very deep statement. 
what does this mean this means that we are not like programmed robots that we have no free will we have no choice no our karma determines our past karma determines what will happen in our life but it doesn't determine how we will react to it what choices we will make so there are two schools of thought which are called as karmavad and daivavad so how many of you were present for the class on destiny that his grace radhishyam pro took several months ago or a couple of months ago how many of you have heard of this karmavad and daivavad before okay yes so karmavad is basically the school of thought of most modern people today that means by my karma i will be successful if i just work hard enough and smart enough then i can become the next bill gates or the next warren buffett or whatever so that's the karma and now of course this appears very attractive by the sweat of my bro and by the work of my muscles i will succeed but if you look at the reality of life so many people work hard and not all of them succeed so the karmavad the idea that everything depends on my actions that brings frustration and people who think that everything because i worked hard it should come out successful if it doesn't come out successful they think i am jinxed jinxed means oh maybe there's something mere kismat hi phuti hai people say like oh nothing will work out right in mine they develop a hopelessness they develop inferiority complex they develop all sorts of psychotic disorders because of which they can't function effectively yes there may be some bad karma patch which we are going through and for that we may not get reactions the way we want for our actions we may do good and we not get good but we should know like the grain seek storehouse is soon going to get over and grain is going to come out so karma war leads to frustration because in reality it is our actions alone don't determine our reactions now some many times the students you now we feel very pained when we study very diligently and we don't get marks as per our expectations but if we are honest we will also admit that there are times in our life when we don't study much we don't study very diligently but whatever we study comes in the exam and we get good marks also isn't it how many of you have this experience isn't it almost everyone amazing so that means that the law of karma works both ways that means sometimes when we are trying to get good marks then we just study what we are meant to what is going to come in the exam we get good marks so it's not that the law of karma is unfair or sometimes by our past good karma we get good reaction even when we don't do the proper action like so that like the two grains you're saying i'm putting in c but i'm getting a and i'm putting in a but i'm getting c the same way it happens so karma vaad will lead to frustration soon it will lead to go inferiority complex it will lead to depression but the other extreme is called a daiva vaad daiva vaad means oh everything is determined by destiny what can i do in fact this daiva vaad was what dhritarashtra was trying to use to justify his inaction when duryodhana was unleashing all atrocities on the pandavas so vidura told him stop your son duryodhana from waging war against the pandavas 
Let him accept Krishna Shanti proposal. He said, no, if it is the will of destiny that this war take place, who am I, a tiny mortal, to stop the will of mighty destiny? He started, Dhritarashtra started speaking philosophy. But Viduran was an expert. He knew how to smash this so-called philosophy. So he told him, destiny determines the consequences of your actions, not your actions themselves. That means, just like if somebody is on the 10th floor, destiny doesn't determine whether he will jump off the 10th floor or not. If he jumps off the 10th floor, destiny determines what is going to happen. Isn't it? So destiny determines the consequences of our actions, not our actions themselves. If I choose to jump from the 10th floor, then it's just what is going to happen. But I am not forced to jump off the 10th floor. So that's what the, the, the Vidura was telling Dhritarashtra, that you have the freedom to choose. You should try to stop your son to the best of your capacity. So this Daivavad is what many Western thinkers and many westernized Indian thinkers misunderstand the Vedic philosophy to be. They think that those who are the Vedic followers, the, spiritual, the followers of spiritual path in India, you know, they just believe in destiny, they believe that everything is going to happen the way it is. So why work hard? And therefore, they don't work. And they, when they, westernized India, they say that in the West, because they didn't believe like this, that's why they have worked and succeeded so much. But in Indians, we believe in this Daivavad. But this Daivavad is actually not the correct understanding. And Indians were never lazy. You know, the world's biggest poem is the Mahabharat. Mahabharata is 110,000 verses. The other two biggest poems are the Iliad and Odyssey, which are the Germanic sagas from the Roman age. But the Mahabharata is seven times bigger than the Iliad and the Odyssey combined together. <laughs> so could lazy people have written that? <laughs> Isn't it? So there are such amazing works of literature, of architecture, of art. Even science and math in the Vedic, Vedic times. So this is not the product of lazy people. So Daivavad is also a misunderstanding, as Vidura pointed out to Dhritarashtra. But what is the real understanding? The real understanding is that our results, the results of our actions are determined both by our actions of this life and the reactions from the past life or the past karma, either from this or the next life. A simple example. Just like a farmer, when he sows seeds, he sows the seeds, then he plows the field, then he waters the field. Now that is his karma. Whether rains will come or not, that is the daiva. So now, when he plows the field, when he does his karma and the daiva is also anukul, favorable, then the grains come. Now let's consider two scenarios. If somebody is a believer only of karma, he thinks, yes, I must do my grains and I will get crops. What will happen? He will not get. He will get frustrated. But somebody is just a daivavadi and he says, oh, what is the use? Rains may come or rains may not come. And even if rains come, if he has not sown the seeds and he has not plowed the field, what will he get? Just weeds. He will not get any grains. So therefore, the Vedic scriptures always say we should do our duty. We should always do the right karma and not bother about the daiva. Whatever the destiny, without bothering about it. Not bothering about it means not letting the destiny discourage us from doing our duty. 
whatever it is because if we do our karma now this karma will give us the fruit if the daiva is favorable but if the daiva is not favorable this karma is creating the daiva for the future daiva for the present is created by the karma for the past so the karma for the present will create the daiva for the future and therefore there is no reason to be discouraged or disheartened in performing one duty but there is one thing we have to understand that even if some a person does good karma that good karma will bring good reactions and those good reactions means that a person has to stay in the material world for example if somebody uh, offers free water taps in charity on the road or he gives people give free water tanks then that's certainly good karma but the reaction is that he will have to take another birth in which he will never suffer from shortage of water he will be born near a lake or a river or if somebody gives school textbooks school notebooks in charity then next lifetime he will be the owner of a printing factory but he has to take birth again and take birth again means he has to grow old he has to get diseased he has to die he has to suffer the three fold miseries adhyatmik adhibhautik adhidaivik in fact if somebody gives charity to a beggar then he may have to take another birth to receive charity for someone he may have to become a beggar in the next life to receive charity also gahana karmanogati of course it is not that that particular activity will make him a beggar but he may do other bad karma which will make him a beggar but the point is that we by good karma we don't get out of the material world we stay in the material world because good karma is not necessarily godly karma godly karma is a karma as long as we are forgetful of god we stay on in the material world no matter what we do so the real way to come out of the material world which is the place of suffering is by developing our devotion to god and devotional service to god constitutes a karma therefore the ultimate so before we go to that uh, before we understand a karma let's just understand the importance of understanding the science of karma so at a social level only when we understand karma can there the call to morality have any meaning imagine you come to a city welcome to our city there is no police in the city please follow the laws do you think anyone will follow the laws nobody will so today society it has become like that uh, the legal system is known to be inept and corrupt and so people think if i'm just clever enough or influential enough or cunning enough i can do whatever i want i can get away with it so if we want morality in society we need people to understand the law of karma then and then alone will the call to morality call to ethics have any meaning that's why it is saying, saying that fear of god is the beginning of wisdom just like a child no uh, for a child fear of his father is generally the main impetus for him to study now how many of you at some time in your student life were chastised your parent by your parents and forced to study almost everyone isn't it sometime or the other and that time we didn't find it pleasant 
But now, say when we have a good career ahead of us, we feel, yes, if at that time I had not studied, I would have been in trouble. So here itself we see from our own lives, fear is very often the impetus for doing duty. Similarly, even material good karma, people will not follow if there is not an understanding of the law of karma. Because ultimately, how much can the uh, legal system monitor? Yes, the legal system should be much more efficient than what it is now. But if people think that this, legal, the, this world's legal system is all that is there, and they will never have much inspiration or impetus to follow the law of karma. So if we want morality, if we want uh, freedom from corruption, nepotism, and all these evils in society, people have to be educated in the law of karma. That is at a social level. And as devotees who are trying to share Krishna consciousness, we are working at the social level also. But more important for us at an individual level. What happens? At an individual level, when we understand the science of karma, it helps us to make sense of our present condition and gives us the strength to face suffering. Actually, a person without spiritual knowledge. What is the situation? It's a person who is blindfolded and he's being beaten from top, bottom, left, right, middle, back. And he doesn't know from where the next blow is going to come. People, people may be very smart in, in jeans and tie and cap and going on a bike. But actually they are just victims of karma. At any moment any suffering may come. And they are just helpless. They don't know why, what is happening, why is happening. Why me? Why now? Why this? That was... Why me? Why am I alone suffering? Why this way? You know, I would have allowed, allowed, I wouldn't have mind any other problem except this. And why now of all times? This problem had come later, it would have been okay. But why now? Why me? Why this? Why now? So people are just miserable, suffering from all kinds of uh, unpredictable, uncontrollable problems. So that is the situation of people without spiritual knowledge. Just like a person being blindfolded and beaten from all sides. So when we become uh, well-versed in the understanding of the science of karma, then it's like the blindfold is removed. Then we understand how the blows are coming, why the blows are coming and how we can protect ourselves. So therefore, it's a big relief. When I was in a hospital for two months when I was sick, and when I was in the hospital, I was looking, to, looking at the other patients, talking with them, you know, one of the things they just couldn't understand and that was what was emotionally crushing them. They, all my relatives, all my friends, they are all happy. They are in their homes, they are in their parties, they are in their jobs and they are enjoying life. Nobody is enjoying life actually, but that is the illusion. They think they are all enjoying life. Why I alone am suffering like this? So, that itself crushed them completely. But then for me, as a devotee, I just knew it's my karma. Just let me endure it and it will get over. So it helps us to make sense of our suffering. What is happening, we understand. Okay, this is the cause that is it's happening, so let me just tolerate and it will get over. So, and secondly, it helps us prepare for the future with confidence. It's not that just by knowing the knowledge of karma, we'll become free for suffering. But it's like a patient who has understood what his disease is and has understood what he should do to cure the disease. So, this pain is still there, but his pain is going to decrease. 
whereas the person who doesn't know his pain is going to increase so if you are taking the right medicine we can be confident that soon in the future all the suffering will end so similarly a devotee has confidence because he knows i am giving a bad karma so sooner or later all the suffering will end now therefore this w somerset mogham this is a spiritual book he wrote it's like autobiography the razor's edge and he also says has it occurred to you that transmigration is at once an explanation and a justification of the evil of the world the evil of the world means the sufferings which people think that they don't deserve if the evils we suffer are the results of sin committed in our past lives we can bear them with resignation and hope that if in this one we strive toward virtue our future lives will be less afflicted so the the science of karma is not a science of condemnation it is science of redemption the science of condemnation is not a philosophy of condemnation you are sinful suffer no it is a science of redemption do this and god's grace will come upon you and you will be saved so that's what is the focus and now going beyond good karma we understand what is devotional service devotional service brings the ultimate freedom from karmic entanglement let's see how first of all when we practice devotional service itself the lord as the parmatma within our heart grants us the knowledge to make the right choices that means all of us have the voice of conscience the viveka buddhi as it is called in sanskrit when we start doing something wrong there's a voice that stops us don't do this and if you start want to do something right that voice tells us yes do this now prompts us to do the right thing so when we chant the holy names of krishna when we practice devotional service this inner voice becomes stronger and we get the guidance we get the direction to make the right choices in life most people don't know what is right and even they don't what is know what is right they don't have the guidance at that moment to do the right thing so first of all that means see if we look at karma the cycle of karma comes because of two things there are past karmic reactions that are coming upon us and we are ourselves doing bad karma which is going to create further bad suffering so devotional service saves us from both from both first of all it saves us from doing further bad karma not only that uh, many people they understand that some things are wrong but still they can't stop themselves from doing it in marathi they are saying kalta pan varat nahi i know it is right but i am not able to do it but then when we chant the holy names especially then we get a higher taste which frees us from the lower desires by chanting the holy names we get an inner satisfaction and that the bad activities the bad desire that impel us towards those bad activities those cravings go away and this is with respect to helping us make the right choices by which our future will be secure apart from that also now in the past from the past all certain reactions are going to come to us but devotional service helps us even in that how does it help us uh, krishna says aham tvam sarva papebhyo mokshayishyami ma it minimizes krishna says that for my devotees i just give a sample of the reactions i minimize the reactions of their past karma why a sample krishna can remove the whole reaction but if he removes he removes the whole reaction we'll think this world is a happy place we'll think there is no need to go towards god so krishna gives a sample to remind us right now this world is a place of misery that means somebody is like shila prabhupad said once when a devotee is cutting sabji his finger got cut so he went to ask prabhupad i was cutting sabji for krishna 
Why did my finger get cut? So Prabhupada told me, your neck was supposed to be cut. Only the finger was cut. So that is minimizing of the suffering. And whatever residual karma comes upon us, devotional service grants us the strength to tolerate, to endure that suffering. So, one of the names of Krishna is Karunanidhi. Not the politician Karunanidhi. <laughs> he is Irshanidhi. <laughs> he is full of envy for Krishna. But uh, the Lord is actually full of, he is a reservoir of compassion. So, our Madhva Sampradaya Acharya has given a nice example to show how Krishna gives us the strength to endure our suffering. He said that, just like imagine there is a mother and she sends her child to the school and she knows today my child has not done his homework properly. So, the teacher is going to beat him. So, the teacher, no, the teacher will say, put out your hand, beat him on the stick. So, now the mother doesn't want the child to be beaten. By the same time, mother wants the child to be disciplined. She doesn't want the child to be so lenient that uh, the child will never do his homework. So what she does, she sends the child to the school. But gives him a glow to wear. Gives him a nice thick glow. And put your hand out, yes, he puts up, he beats him. And he feels the impact but he doesn't feel the pain. So similarly, Krishna for his devotees, he gives his holy name. So, when a devotee has some pain in the body, he has a disease. And materialistic people who have no knowledge of God, ah, oh, they scream. Yes, they cause pain for themselves and they cause pain for others. But a devotee, Krishna, he just calls out. And what happens by that? You know, he gets purified, he gets relief, his consciousness gets raised to a higher level by which he doesn't feel the pain. So, Krishna not only minimizes the reaction that is going to come to us, Krishna also gives us the strength to face that reaction, to endure that reaction. And thus, he frees us from all suffering. So, I'll conclude with one story of how a devotee who practices devotional service enthusiastically can escape all karmic entanglements, can become free. So this is a real story of one devotee in America. Mm, he is a, a general in the American army. He's, so he was, he was general before he became a devotee. So when he became a devotee, his spiritual master gave him the name Partha Sarthidas. Because Krishna was also Partha Sarthi on the war field. So then he became a devotee. He was nicely practicing devotional service. And then there was this America declared a war on Iraq. And the government told him, you have to go to Iraq. He said, he was thinking, why is Krishna sending me here? I don't want to kill anyone. I don't want to go into this war. I don't want to be in this politics. But then, the government told him to go. And his spiritual master told him, that is your job, that is your duty, you have to go. So then he went to Iraq. And because the Iraqi soldiers were outnumbered, so they were mostly attacking by ambush. And that's why the... In, uh, he, he had around 50 soldiers in his unit. So he was always in great tension. And all the soldiers were in tension. So he said, there, amid the tension of the war fields of Iraq, I discovered how wonderful was the name of Krishna. He said, because I, just, I had no alternative, so much tension. Krishna, 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 Krishna. I was just constantly uttering to myself softly. And as I was chanting the names of Krishna, my mind became clear and calm. And there were many ambush attacks, but by his expert intelligence, he survived and he enabled most of his, almost all of his troop members also to survive. So one day after escape from an ambush, uh, his troop members asked him, Sir, 
in such tense situations, how do you stay so calm? And when they were all asking him eagerly, then he understood why Krishna had sent him to Iraq. He realized this was an opportunity to preach Krishna's message to all these soldiers. <laughs> he started telling him, he said that, I understand that I am not the body, I am the soul. And the soul never dies. And all these people were on the verge of life and death. If they had been in America, they would not have cared for all this. But now it was an immediate matter for them. They are all hearing very attentively. He told them, life or death, we are always the servants of God. If we remember God, we have nothing to fear. And how do we remember God, sir? And he was just jumping with joy. He told him, chant the names of God. And the best name to chant is the name Krishna. And then, all his troops, they started chanting. And, and every time he would go on a military operation, he would give a small pep talk, he said. To inspire them to be confident and to be dependent on God's grace. In the war. And then after the, after the whole talk would be over, all these soldiers with their helmets and armor and guns, they would come in front of him and bow down. And he would offer Ganga gel on their body. <laughs> so, then... Uh, in one, one of the ambushes, uh, he got attacked and his arm got wounded. So it was a terrible attack and just at the last moment, it was like a mine under, under him. So just somehow, he was walking in a particular and he felt the impulse that maybe there's a danger, let me walk this way. If he had just walked straight, he would have been blown to pieces. He just walked right and the mine just exploded, small attack to him. So he realized Krishna has minimized my reaction. Krishna has saved me. Then he had to go to America to get recovered and again he came back. And this time he was even more inspired. So he was not only, he not only inspiring his troops, he thought everybody is on the verge of life and death. So he started preaching to other troops also. So currently, recently, and uh, ISKCON GBC, GBC is the chief body of ISKCON. So, so this uh, Parthasadi Prabhu's preaching report was presented to the GBC. And they were all amazed. So, so three evenings, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, he has spiritual music sessions. Because they don't have much entertainment over there. So he just has kirtans and he's a good musician. And people enjoy it. And Sunday, he has this Bhagavad Gita class. Spiritual class. And just about two and a half months ago, he conducted a Rathyatra in the army cantonment of the Iraqi army. Or the American army in Iraq. <laughs> so, for a devotee, Krishna can transform the greatest adversity into opportunity. An opportunity for going closer to Krishna, an opportunity for helping others to come close to Krishna. So we'll conclude with one verse. It's got, oh, it's got deleted. Okay. So, anyway, you can repeat this verse after me. So this verse describes how for a devotee, this, I was saying the internal and the external benefits, how a devotee is purified of the desire to do bad karma and he is saved from the reactions of past bad karma. Nalobho nachamatsaryo Nakrodho nashubhamatihi Bhavanti krita punyanam Bhaktanam purushottame Navasudeva bhaktanam Ashubham vidyate kvachit Janma Mrityu Jara Vyadhi 
भयम नैवोपजायते सो दिस मींस दैट ऑल द फोर्सेस दैट इंपल पीपल टुवर्ड्स बैड एक्टिविटीज टुवर्ड्स बैड कर्म क्रोधो न च मात्सर्यो नो 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 एंगर नो एनवी नो नो ग्रीड नो लस्ट नो अशुभामति अ डिवोटी इज प्यूरिफाइड फ्रॉम ऑल दिस सो ही डजंट डू एनी बैड कर्म एंड न वासुदेव भक्तानाम अशुभम विद्यते क्वचित इवन इफ सम बैड कर्म brings its reaction in a devotee's life actually that is not ashub for a devotee krishna convert that ashub into ashub and the uh, krishna gives the devotee the strength and the intelligence to move closer to him therefore even the janma mrutyu jara vyadhi the even devotee will grow old get disease and die but those bhayam naivo pajayate they don't cause fear to a devotee a devotee knows that krishna is with me in life or death and if a devotee faithfully practices krishna consciousness then he returns back to the spiritual world so certainly we understand the principle of karma so that we choose in our day to day life karma and not be karma but beyond that we should have we have to do a karma to chant the holy names and associate with devotees and practice the process of krishna consciousness and that is the ultimate insurance from all suffering so i'll quickly summarize just go back to the first slide the overview slide yeah so we started with a simple definition of karma then we discuss the logic of karma there are laws everywhere in nature so why should the humans not have laws and cause effect is implicit in all our day to day dealings and reward punishment is the way everybody trains anyone else so why why not god will do that and we discuss about doubts of karma that when bad people appear to be flourishing that's just temporary it's like the silos these bad quality grains are being put now but because of the good quality grains stored they are coming out at present it's just temporary and why do we get reactions from this life and the next life because each action uh, is like a seed sowing program and different seeds fructify after different time durations and krishna alone knows the expertise has the expertise to know which karma's reaction should be given when we saw that story of dhritarashtra and krishna he had to do punya for 50 lifetimes to get 100 sons then he got the reaction for the pap that he did 50 lifetimes ago and then we discussed about natural calamities they kill in blind they kill in mass but they don't kill blindly ignorance is not a excuse it is a consequence of sin but greater than god's punishment or god's justice is god's grace and those who are meant to suffer in ignorance as most of us in kaliyuga are by our own past uh, bad choices even for us god sends his grace in the form of his devotees so that we can be reclaimed we discussed in this connection the story of airavat prabhu and then we discuss the science of karma there is karma vikarma and akarma then we discuss karmavad and daivavad so we should always be very enthusiastic to do our duty at the material level karma so that irrespective of whether we are going to get the results or not because if we don't get the results now then we are paving we are creating for a destiny in the future so the example was of the seed plowing is the uh, plowing is the karma and rains are the daiva so in both come together we get the results but just doing good karma is not enough we will stay on in cycle of birth and death to, we will have to come back to this world to get the good results of our good activities and then we discussed about the benefits of understanding science of karma even at a material level there is no spirituality or devotion in this at this level of the presentation even from a material social point of view if you want morality in society people have to be educated in the law of karma and if you want people to be able to make sense of their condition in their life to be able to face suffering 
then they have to not have knowledge of karma. Like if a person is sick, he just feels I have been singled out and that causes him, crushes him more than the sickness itself. And then, further, it helps us to prepare for the future. A person without karmic knowledge is like a blindfolded person being beaten. Whereas a person with karmic knowledge is like a patient who is diagnosed and is being cured. Is being and then further, at a spiritual level, if we become devotees of Krishna, then Krishna helps us to become free from both the sufferings due to our past karma and the suffering that will come because of our doing bad karma now. He gives us the knowledge and the taste to make the right choices in life and he gives us, he minimizes the karmic reaction and he gives us the ability to face the karmic reactions. So we discuss the story of Partha Sarthi Prabhu in connection with this. So are there any questions? Sagar is there, he is moving around with the chits for any... We can, have, we can write on chits also and we can give directly also. Hare Krishna Prabhuji. Hare Krishna. Prabhuji, as you said, our present karma, uh, that is our present actions will determine the effect in the future. So, whether our present thoughts has have any effect in the future, Suppose I am doing a good karma, but my thoughts are not so good. So what will be the effect in the future? Fortunately for us in Kali Yuga, we are not accountable for our thoughts. Otherwise, if in the earlier ages, even if we had sinful thoughts, we would get the reactions for that. So, in Kali Yuga, we have very little control over our thoughts. That's why we are not held accountable. That is the compassionate nature of the karmic justice. We just don't have the self-control. So, if we do a good activity, we do get the good result. But Krishna also explains that charity that is given out of pride or out of resentment, that is in the mode of passion. And so that is, that is not going to give us the best result. We may get a good result in the sense that we may get a... Uh, we may get the result. In the sense that if I give money, if I give food to someone, I'll get food in return. But then our consciousness stays contaminated by such activity. So, as you rightly pointed out, the activity brings a result, but the consciousness in which we do activity also brings a result. That's like there can be charity in the mode of ignorance. Like a person is a drunkard, and he says another drunkard, he says, "Tu bhi kya rakhega, le lek. It is charity, but in the mode of ignorance, isn't it? So that will not bring a good reaction. So our consciousness also matters. But uh, we are not accountable for the consciousness itself. It's not that every bad thought that we have, we get a bad reaction for that. However, if we continue to harbor bad thoughts, then the bad thoughts will translate into actions. And we'll have to suffer for that. So it's best not to have bad thoughts also. The bad thoughts are coming, we try to... Especially if we chant the holy names, the bad thoughts go away. Krishna Surya Sama Maya Hai Andhakar. Yaha Krishna Tahar Nahi Maya Radhikar. So, if we chant the holy names while doing our activities, then when the negative thoughts start coming, they can be driven away by the son of God's holy name, which dissipates the darkness of these bad thoughts. So, your question has three parts answer. First is that we are not accountable for our thoughts, fortunately for us in Kali Yuga. Secondly, yes, our consciousness will create the future mentality. It may not create the 
it may not uh, our bad consciousness will do good, good action will not necessarily give a bad reaction but it will create a bad mentality over a period of time and thirdly if the bad mentality is maintained over a period of time that will also lead to bad actions therefore it's best to avoid the bad mentality by chanting the holy names and cultivating a good mentality okay any other questions yes please Hare Krishna Prabhuji Ajay Prabhuji sometimes there is at times uh, when there are some means unauspicious things are happening around like means minx is overflowing or our means left eye is flickering so means it means it is somewhat a indication that something bad is coming or a cat has crossed our way mm -hmm. so sometimes like that also so uh, but when the actual thing comes we see that okay that happened that's why we are getting these karmas so uh, but means if we chant the holy names uh, can it be possible that that karmas means we are means guided to the right place that it is not the right way the right way is this one yeah firstly there can be there are there is a subtle science by which certain omens are considered auspicious and inauspicious yeah there are certain as you said a cat crossing or certain part of the body itching suddenly for no reason this is described in the bhagavatam and other places as omens of either good or bad that is okay now how does that happen it's a part of the karmic reaction when something good is going to come that before coming that good also gives us some signal that is coming and when some bad thing bad is going to happen that also gives us some signal that is just a part of the karmic reaction package now as devotees what can we do as a study it is like a weather forecast so if the weather forecast says it's going to rain we can't stop the rains but we can choose to not go out or we can choose to go out with umbrella or a raincoat and the rains will come but we will not be affected so badly by the rains so similarly when there are some bad omens then a devotee can choose a appropriate course of action uh, uh, by which he can minimize the risk or the suffering involved but in kalyuga it's very difficult to understand what is good and bad because practical color doshon is rajan everything is bad only in kalyuga uh, so therefore uh, although it's a science as uh, which is dealt with by astrology astrology tells us that okay, if this omen is coming you should do this you wear this money or do this puja gear or do this puja or whatever but in kalyuga most astrologers are not competent because astrology is also a subtle science and especially when one starts charging money for it then one loses the ability for subtle uh, subtle skills in required for astrology and astrology is just a money making business nowadays so therefore as devotees we focus on our service for krishna and do whatever is the best for our service to krishna that means i'll just give two examples for this say if uh, we are going to i'll give a more devotional example and you can relate it to your life say if we are going to build a temple for krishna then we will build a temple according to astu principles this is just an example of subtle sciences not exactly omens but subtle sciences we'll build according to astu principles but if we are going to set a standard say if we have we have voices near mayapur gdd and the voices the voice building may not be constructed according to astu but then because the lord's message is to be preached so wherever it is we'll preach it that means if a devotee can harmonize with the subtle principles he harmonizes he doesn't intentionally flay them but if in trying to harmonize with the subtle principles one has to give up his devotional service then he gives up those 
subtle principles and he focuses on the Lord and he prays to the Lord for protection. One of the temples uh, in America, Los Angeles temples, that, that place earlier was a crematorium. Now, how can a crematorium be converted into a temple? By the Lord's mercy, it's possible. So that's why as devotees, we should focus, as you rightly said, on chanting Hare Krishna and not worry much about the astrological or the subtle principles. Focus on devotional service. And if there are certain specific comments which are repeatedly coming, we can consult with devotees. But in general, a devotee doesn't worry too much about the concoctions of the mind. Just focuses on serving Krishna and the best way he can serve Krishna. Okay? The project is also said that uh, means Vinash Kale Vipreet Buddhi. So, uh, when some unauspicious things is gonna happen, Krishna means takes away the intelligence of the person. Oh, Krishna doesn't take away the intelligence. <laughs> the the person Devi. takes Krishna away from his life. Okay. <laughs> when we say Vinash Kale Vipreet Buddhi, that means that even when other people come to give him counsel, he doesn't accept that counsel. That's what happened to Durudana. So, now Krishna himself came to him. But he refused. So, it's not that God is leading him to destruction. He is leading himself to destruction. And even when God tries to stop him, he is not ready to stop. So, it's, we cannot, it's not that God is not helping. God helps. But a person is determined to act the way he wants. Then that leads to Vinash. Okay? Yes. Hare Krishna. Some other questions, please? Yes, where is the mic? Yeah, who... who who has the hand up? So we have some questions here also, three, four questions here ahead. Maybe you can ask loudly. You can ask loudly, I'll repeat. Hare Krishna Prabhuji. Just one minute, yeah. Yeah, he's asking, he said that we get pain because of our bad karma, past karma. So if I beat my head against the wall, is that pain which I get because of my past karma or this karma? <laughs> no, we do create karma in this life also. That is what is called instant karma. I slap someone, thaw, he slaps me back. It's instant karma. So, it's not that in this life we get suffering only from the past lives. We get past life from our actions in this life. That's why I said if somebody smokes, he gets lungs diseases. Now, some people who may have exceptional good karma, they may smoke and they may not get lung disease. And some people who have exceptional bad karma, they may not smoke and they may also get lung disease. But the exceptions don't disprove the rule. The rule is that when we do karma, we get reaction. And we see that even in this life also. Okay? Yes, please. Hare Krishna Prabhuji. Uh, Prabhuji, I have one question. Uh, like, uh, uh, as you opened that astrology is like uh, a money-making business nowadays. So, uh, like people still uh, believe or uh, they still go by this astrology. Like uh, taking for example, like a student who has just completed his 12th standard and uh, he is in, uh, having a question about his career. So, he generally approaches an astrologer and depending upon his uh, decision uh, uh, or the suggestions given by astrologer, because he is not fix, uh, fixing his mind, so he refers to the astrologer and depending upon the astrologer's decision, he takes 
the necessary step like i have to pursue this career or second example is like uh, in the marriages they see or oh, is all patrika thing or they go by uh, the astrologers thing and different astrologers have these different uh, opinions about that so my question is how much uh, should we believe in this astrology thing whether it's really true or how should we go about uh, taking a decision about uh, should we refer uh-huh. to the astrologer or uh, what what should uh, what are we supposed to do actually astrology is a subtle vedic science it's a science and we respect it but the people who are the astrologers today are not really bona fide and therefore their guidance will not therefore their guidance will not help us much so if because of our social pressure the family or our friends they pressurize us a lot that you have should consult an astrologer then we might consult because of that but in general a devotee doesn't need an astrologer no actually a devotee doesn't see a horoscope he sees a horoscope <laughs> what is horoscope horoscope is the bhagavad gita the vision that the lord is giving us through the horoscope like once like sometimes when we go in a train sometimes people ask pandit ji aap haath dekhte hai kya ha ye kyon nahi haath dekhte bhavishya mein kya hone wala hai tum bude hone wale ho bimar hone wale ho marne wale ho what happens before that how big is how big how big of consequence is that you know if if somebody tells okay you are here now and there is a big ditch and you are going to fall in that ditch and die before that somebody will give you 1 million rupees and somebody is not going, the other person is not going to get 1 million rupees what difference does it make you get into a million rupees in the, when you die in the ditch fall in the ditch what are the million rupees going to do for you so in that sense astrology itself cannot save us from the repetition of birth and death so devotee doesn't uh, dwell too much on these temporarily material, temporary material adjustments but he realizes the real problems of life and knows that only devotional service is a solution to that okay yes yes please sir ankur yeah hari krishna prabhu ji uh, prabhu ji my question is Uh, are we the only res- uh, fru- getting the fruits of our fruits or the results of our uh, karmas or are uh, the people who are associated with us also get the results of our karmas like uh, in the material platform we see that parents the actions of parents uh, the re- children also get some of the reactions and the second question addition to that is can our devotion practice of devotional service be some helpful to the people who are associated with us they will also get the chance to uh, practice devotional service yes a thoughtful question firstly yes when we come in a family unit then when say one person becomes sick that particular person is suffering but along with that the other family must also go through inconvenience so he is suffering by his karma and other family members are going through inconvenience by their karma so <clears throat> that's how the karmic system works out say some child is born uh, mentally retarded then certainly that's his karma but then there's the parents karma also because of which they get that child so yes the network of karma is quite intricate and others can also suffer not because of our karma they are suffering by their own karma but our karma becomes the instrument by which they get their suffering you are understanding this now about our devotional service certainly it helps them also 
Prahlad Maharaj is told by Narasimhadev. Prahlad Maharaj asked, you know, my father was a very great sinner, but please forgive him. So Hiranyakashipu said, Dad, I have already done. Three Sapta Pita Puta. Three Sapta, three into seven. Twenty-one generations of your ancestors are already purified because of your becoming a devotee. So that is the greatest service we can do to for our parents. If we become great devotees, then Krishna will not give not only us the benefit, but our parents, our relatives, many, many others the benefit of that. And on the contrary, actually at the material level, we cannot do much to help anyone. Because everybody has their karma to come and they will get their karma. So therefore, a devotee focuses on, he knows that the best service that I can do to my relatives, my family members is become advanced in devotional service. Okay? Yes. Any more questions? We have a lot of chits here. Yes, we have mic here. Is it correct that our karma is dependent on our mentality? Yes. And that's why if we come in the association of devotees, our mentality can change. And that's how we get the ability to do the right choice, have the right choices and accordingly improve our future. But yes, the mentality that we get is also, how is our mentality determined? By our family, by our friends. And why are we put in that particular family and friend circle? By our past.